0: another episode on life in the front office here. I'm your host Jake Hirschman and today I've got Pat Gallagher along with Russ Stanley, two friends from the San Francisco Giants and Russ, the Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service and Pat, a uh, longtime giant himself. Uh, really looking forward to today's episode. We're actually going to dive into the ticketing side of the business. I think, Pat, we've, we've had a lot of people from a lot of different sports, but I don't think we've actually talked about tickets yet. So um, we have a treat today with, with Russ and, and his expertise in the, in the industry and really looking forward to it. Pat, uh, you've known Russ for, for a bit of time, so I'm going to let you kick it off.
1: Okay. Well, you know, and we'll get into, you know, how Russ got into the business. But the ticket business, you know, it's, it's sort of the key part of any sort of spectator sport or event is that how do you do it? How do you get into it? Uh, if, as a professional, what are the things you think about? And Russ Stanley, um, I've known him for you know, over 30 years. Uh, we worked together for a number of years. And he is, um, he is regarded as one of the pioneers in the ticketing business, not just in sports, but in big events. So we're going to try to pick Russ's brain a little bit about um, about what he thinks about. And before we before we we dive into Russ, tell us a little bit. Is did you wake up one day and said, you know what? I mean, how did it, how did you get into the business?
2: And no, I woke up and wanted to be a second baseman for the Giants.
1: Oh you know? well, <laughs> a lot of people
2: do that. That was my plan. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I got into high school and saw that I uh, couldn't hit a curveball, uh-huh. uh, and decided I needed to find another. I couldn't hit a fastball either. Actually, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> had a good glove, but that was it. Uh, So, you know, as I got through college uh, and had a career at Marine World, you know, so with your brother, Moby, uh, spent a lot of time at Marine World uh, and was fortunate enough at the end of that run. That was my high school and college job. I was very fortunate uh, to catch on with the Giants uh, right after the earthquake in
0: 1989. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's when I met you. Well, I I had met you at at an informational interview, which I'll give you tons of credit for doing uh, probably in 88, 87, we did that, you and Duffy Jennings. Uh, and I was able to catch on in the sales team. Uh, it, at the time, it was this telemarketing crew, but you know, would, today it would be called an inside sales group, selling season tickets. And uh, as you know, Arthur Schultz sort of took me under his wing. Uh, he had come from the polo grounds, so he had a wealth of knowledge in the ticketing business. And he was one of those guys, if you just listened, uh, he would teach you. And uh, so I'm very fortunate to have had him as a mentor and, and you as well. I mean, you gave me that, so many opportunities. Uh, so I didn't wake up that way, but I sort of evolved over, over the years.
0: Well, but but now, now Russ dreams of tickets, right? Well, that? I said, do you dream of tickets <laughs> now?
2: God, no, no. Uh, now they're, now they're all digital. So, you know, you don't even, you barely, you don't see them anymore.
1: Well, you know, any of us that are in the ticket, have been in the ticket business, you know, I, I'd like to say that in the, in sort of in the old days, you know, we used to kind of roll around in the tickets and, <laughs> and the giants, you know, this was before the age of, you know, computers or any of the stuff they're doing now, they actually print every year printed several million tickets. And if somebody says, okay, I want to buy two tickets for tomorrow's game. Somebody would actually go up on a shelf, pull out <laughs> those two tickets. Um, uh, they would, you know, go to the window, and make change, and give it to you. But it's changed so much. And Russ, so give us, give us an idea right now. I mean, right now, you manage, uh, you manage a whole group of people, but you also manage the ticketing and a very complex. How many different prices? Let's just start there. How many different prices with your? I want you to explain dynamic pricing as we go through this. Sure. But how how many different prices? Uh, could somebody pay for a specific game?
2: Well, in any given game, we probably have 20 to 25 different price scales. Mm-hmm. So you multiply that times 81. Uh, so as we're you know, heading into the season, we're, we're managing a lot of different prices. And those prices can change daily based on what's happening. Like right now, we're, as we play games, you know, team wins or loses, that can affect the prices in the upcoming homestand. Uh, weather uh, has a big, big impact. Uh, so we're constantly looking at, at all of that, all of those prices every day.
1: Was there a, was there an industry out there that does, you know, I, I, they call it dynamic pricing and maybe you can explain what that is, but was there sort of a, a, a related industry or a resi- related model that you sort of looked at and learned from um, to help develop the, the giant system?
2: Yeah. There, I mean, the two businesses you look at are the hotels and the airlines. And I think, you, you know, you were still with us and, I had many conversations with you talking about how, you know, the hotel price could change or your airline price could change really based on supply and demand. And really, I mean, we saw it with the the brokers out on the streets, you know, their prices changed if it was, if the weather was bad, their price. So, you know, they were doing dynamic pricing long before we did. (laughs) Uh, But, but, you know, going back hundreds and thousands of years, you know, prices, prices changed on a ticket based on, on supply and demand. And, uh, just took, uh, took sports, uh, you know, a couple hundred years to figure it out.
0: <laughs> Pat, you, you're a sales guy and you, and you believe a lot in sales experience, um, you know, to Russ, your, your experience in the industry, what have you learned the most about the sales side and, and kind of maybe go through some of your different roles that you've had along the way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I started in sales selling season tickets in 1989, which, um, you know it was a great year to be selling season tickets coming off a world series. Giants didn't win but it was still a pretty exciting time. Uh and then I rolled into the service side where I learned customer service. And then uh about about the time we were getting ready to move into the new ballpark, uh we were talking about you know how how are we going to retain all these customers? You know we're going to have we're going to be sold out, we're going to have 29,000 full season tickets. How to retain them? And so you know, I, I really relied on the relationships uh, or building on relationships with customers. And uh, at the time, uh, Pat, you remember Amory marie Hastings, mm-hmm. uh, we put together the client relations team. And that was, a, that was a sales team, but their focus was on retention and making our uh, customers feel like they had a friend with the Giants. It wasn't a renewal call. Uh, this was, you know, a call from a friend. And, I, I, again, I sort of learned that from Arthur Schultz. I saw how many people were buying tickets. They'd come into his office, buy tickets, buy season tickets. And those people always renewed because he gave them this personal experience. And, you know, he'd sit with them, talk to, you know, they'd buy tickets for five minutes and he'd talk to them for a half hour. Uh, and he provided this great service. And I said, God, if we had 20 people like that, we, we could retain all these customers. And so we did it. We'd, Pat, you helped me present that to Larry and, and Peter. And uh, we got the client relations team approved. And they're still going. They, they were the first in baseball that I know of. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's actually, that same group is still pretty intact.
1: Well, you've got, you've got 40,000 seats to sell 81 times a year. And so if you kind of look at any one game, it's like throwing a party for 40,000 people, 81 okay. times a year. But if you look at the different segments, you know, there's all different types of customers in this. I mean, there's, you know, there's obviously there's season ticket season tickets, but now people share their tickets. Um, why don't you just talk a little bit about the different segments that might go into a crowd of 40,000? I mean, how many different customer groups would you be talking about?
2: Well, there's season tickets, which you said, and their are partners. And uh, then there's groups. You know, we may do uh, a few thousand seats in groups every night. You know, some, game, some games better than others. Uh, we've started backfilling through the special events program. Uh, you know, we had that sellout streak that went on for almost 10 years. Uh, I guess about eight years. Uh, and so there was sort of a formula where we could see a game on a Thursday night. If that was going to be soft, well, we'll put Irish heritage night on that night. Cause we know that's going to sell another 1500 tickets. So it was more of an equation and filling in where we needed to. Uh, so you have, you have groups, special events, season tickets, uh, and then the individual buyer. And that's the one, uh, you know, it's the most difficult. You, you rely on either the, a good team or good weather. Uh, groups pretty steadily come every year after year. Uh, special events, you know, that's a pretty consistent number. It's the, it's the single-game buyer that sort of fluctuates as the team wins and loses.
1: So I used to think that the, the term good seats available was, you know, redundant. I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course there's always good seats available. But seriously, how do you – how do you um, – um first of all how does how has technology sort of changed this from you know hey i want to go to the ball game today let's just go there tonight and we'll buy tickets uh we'll buy tickets at the box office we'll pay cash for it how is how has technology changed all that
2: well it's it's pretty incredible i mean you can be on your way to the ballpark and buy tickets on your phone now and you know you get that you don't even go to the box office anymore to pick up a ticket you you know, go straight to your phone, and you walk in. I mean, you could, frankly, be standing out in front of the ticket windows and buy on your phone, and come right in. I mean, technology. I it, mean, it, it's evolved so much with the internet, and now all of these apps. And you know, we have the ballpark app where you can buy tickets. Uh, it's it. <laughs> when I go back, when you're talking about climbing in the vault, pulling out tickets, uh, it's come a long way
1: since then, for sure. So what what keeps you up at night thinking about? Um... You know, and and let's let's take the winning and the losing out of this thing, because the Giants, you know, have had a, an incredible run. Now, in a, in a in a sort of a different phase. But aside from all that, what are the things that as that the guy in charge of all this, what do you, what do you what keeps you up at night?
2: Well, it's maintaining that season base and the the relationships that we have with our current customers. You know, you want to keep them coming, uh, and I, I think. Yeah, you know, that certainly keeps me awake trying to get to three million tickets this year. Uh, but it's it's a lot of it is you know what what is the next season ticket product? I mean, right now that's what's keeping me awake at night because it it, it seems to be changing. I mean, we're seeing uh, the way fans are consuming the game is is different now. They're not they don't necessarily have to be here every game, and if they are here, they don't necessarily want a seat. They don't they don't want to sit and watch nine innings. Uh, so we developed this ballpark pass last year uh, where you pay on a monthly basis. And it's sort of like Netflix. You, you come whenever you want. Uh, that's new to baseball probably in the last three years. And I see that growing. I mean, the, 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 the ability to just come when you want and whether you, if you want a seat, you can, you can purchase and, you know, for a uh, a fee, you can, you can upgrade to another seat, but most of the time fans want to come and sit and, and be in a social environment uh mm. so we built a couple of, of bars and and sort of hubs where people can stand and watch the game and not fill a seat and come and go as they please they, they may leave in the third or fourth inning so mm. i mean just how how this is evolving that's probably what's keeping me awake at night because i feel that coming hard that you know they call it the death of the season ticket uh and, uh, Mario aliotto has been telling me that for years. That season tickets dying. There's so many other ways to buy tickets. Uh, someone committing to 81 games is going away. And I think he's right in some locations. I mean, there's still some locations that are a beachfront property that are going to sell 81 times. It's it's that you know, sort of marginal area. You know, what is next? And and I think it's more more flexibility, being able to come when they want to come, uh, but have a seat. There's a, there's a group of people out there that want to have a seat. Uh, so that you know that 's keeping me awake and you know wh- what 's coming next in ticketing uh, you know we went mobile this year, and uh, you know I think over the next couple of years you 're going to see that uh, more and more prevalent you know just talk of uh, facial recognition you know where <laughs> you, you know you're right now it 's connected your ticket's connected to your cell phone, but eventually it 'll be connected to your to your face and your characteristics so you won 't even take your phone out you 'll just walk in the park and it Will recognize you uh, through through some kind of scanning. Uh, so I mean, it's it's getting into more of the you know the Logan's Run Terminator kind of stuff. Uh, the futuristic the future of ticketing is is pretty interesting.
1: I used to think that I used to you know talk to the old line ticket guys. You know Arthur Schultz was the guy who came from the Polo Grounds with the Giants, and you know he he he, he was very suspicious of. You know, t- of the technology at first, you know, it, it, a ticket a ticket person always needed to feel like they they could they could put their hands on the tickets. But in terms of managing this now is technology. Obviously, it's made it simpler to manage. But how how do you man, let, Let's take let's take a, a problem. Let's say a game gets rained out. Or it's it, it, so what do, how do you manage that? How do you manage that and keep people happy?
2: Well, it's it, it's that's evolved uh, in our favor because it's you, you know who's got every ticket. So electronically, you can reverse all of those transactions and credit. It's not like when Arthur was here and you see that we'd have boxes of envelopes. You know, someone would have to return all those tickets and, and generate a check request. And then we get a stack of checks that we have to sign. Uh, now it's it's really an automated process. Uh, uh, the other thing in our case, you know, we we do sell enough tickets uh, that we would we typically don't have a rainout. Uh, we might have a postponement and play a split double doubleheader. Uh, mm-hmm. So we've been fortunate uh, to to not lose a game. Let me let me knock on wood here. Uh, we've not lost a game uh, where we had to refund. Tickets. Uh, I guess we've had playoff games that go unplayed, and that's all electronic now. Where where when Arthur w- was around, that those would have all had to come back to the office and you know fill out a receipt and then send them a check four weeks later. Uh, it's Amazing. all automated
1: now. So you you really pioneered, aside from dynamic pricing, you really pioneered something um, that really sort of started the the secondary market. You said that scalpers always were the the secondary market, you know, the, the, the human secondary market, but the, the, um, double play ticket window and the secondary market, um, is something that has really revolutionized how tickets are done in sports. Talk, talk a little bit about how the secondary market came about, how the the technology and, and sort of how it's evolved. I mean, how is it, you know, how is it doing these days?
2: Sure. That was a a fun project to work on. Uh we knew that we were not going to have an exchange program moving into, at the time, AT&T Park, which is now Oracle Park. Uh, Moving into the new building, I'm sorry, no, we're moving into Pac-Bell Park, not Mm -hmm. AT&T. But as we moved in, we knew that we weren't going to have an exchange program. So what I tried to figure out was a way for a customer to give us back the ticket to put up for sale for them, but we would not take ownership of the ticket until, it, until we had a buyer on the other side and we would facilitate that transaction. Uh, so it was sort of an exchange program and you know they got their money back for the ticket or in some cases, more than what they paid for the ticket. Uh, and through good through some good years, they, they actually made money on their purchases or covered their ticket price. Um, and at the, time, at the time, I'll never forget sitting in your office one day you said, you know, you ought, to, you ought to quit and go do this for all the other teams. And about a year later, StubHub came out and did exactly that <laughs> thing. I, I was so locked into, well, you gotta be with the team. You gotta be able to turn, turn a ticket off and on. And that, I mean, that's part of what, what was so great about learning from Arthur, the hard ticket world. You know, I sort of learned, you know, how, that a ticket needed to be turned off at some point, And then a new one, a new barcode gets generated. Uh, You know, it was was a complex system at the time. Uh, And then about seven years later, baseball made the deal with StubHub where they became the preferred vendor of or the the secondary option for any any ticket resale. Uh, I guess the official ticket reseller. Um, So we were we're fortunate enough to get to work on that integration. So the first version of StubHub for baseball was really the double play ticket window. Uh, because we spent a lot of time with them trying to build this. And uh, that was a great project. But, you know, I, I, I got to give you some credit, Pat, because I remember uh, coming into your office and saying, what do you think of this? And you, <laughs> I, I think you thought I was probably crazy, but I felt so strongly about it that you sort of went with it. Uh, and well, I think I, we changed the business. I mean, I, I used to go to meetings and people would think I'm not, you know, the Walter Nash's of the world who was with the Dodgers. Why are you going to sell a ticket again if you've already sold it once? You know, you get you get those that kind of negativity. Uh, But I think it worked out great. And that's what I believe kept our renewal rate, you know, in the ninety five percent. You know, that helped this client relations team renew because they were able to say, look, if you can't I I can only go to 40 games. or if you can't go to more than 40 games, you can resell them on our double play ticket window. And people were confident that they were going to get their money back. And they did
1: well it's it, you know, I, I used to say that you know nobody can go to eighty one games and lead a normal life you know <laughs> i mean we we all did because we you know we, we worked there, but uh, you know most people go to the minimum of games, but it, the the reality is now is that a ticket that a ticket might be resold bought and sold several times for the same seat
0: for the same game right
2: uh, absolutely I, I think it happens all the time
0: well Russ, it, it, to to your point about you know, people buying tickets, like, especially with StubHub, you know, and buying them on the way to the game, where have you seen kind of the time frame in which people, the, the buying decision happening, you know, is oh, it, it, is it one day, two days? Is it 30 minutes? Is it, you know, a month? I mean, obviously the season ticket has, you know, you have your deadlines and all that sort of stuff, but uh, how have you seen that shift, especially with technology?
2: Yeah. The single ticket buyers is waiting, waiting longer and longer. And um, that part of that is technology, and I think part of that is life. They they know that they can wait until the day of and still get a good seat, if, whether it's from the Giants or from StubHub. They know that they can still buy a good seat, and just life in general. They they don't know what they're doing Saturday until Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or even sometimes on you know Saturday morning they get up. It's a nice day. Let's go to the ball game. Uh, so we've seen that purchase pattern really change to you know, a few days out, it's not all on game day, but you know, within a few
0: days. How do you, how do you combat that in the sense that, uh, you know, your revenue or attendance in some cases may or may not be known as much. Is it, is it any different than, you know, past years?
2: Yeah. When we were, when we were in the sellout streak, uh, I think that's why I had to go see my cardiologist before this <laughs> call. Um, uh, you know, there were some nights where we got into the game or got close to the game or where, where you know, we were just sort of, you know, we had done everything we could and sort of holding our breath uh, that we get a decent enough walk up. And, you know, 530 times we got there. Uh, but, it, yeah, it does change, uh, you know, how you, you're, you're pushing games. You know, it used to be, we'd be when, when we're in game, you know, when we're home for a series, we'd be immediately on the radio and TV. We'd be pushing the next homestand. Uh, but now, you know, if it's on Tuesday night, we may still be pushing Friday night's game, uh, because people are still making that that last minute decision.
1: So, it, it just Russ, talk about the process of doing that. I mean, you're looking at the inventory, you're managing it, you're sort of seeing it flux. So, in terms of of these messages you're talking about, where do you, where do you go with those? I mean, who 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 do you communicate with to? Um, to, to get these messages out there?
2: Well, we have a marketing team that, that's run by Danny Dan uh, in mm-hmm. our offices. Uh, and Mario, we, we have a weekly marketing meeting. We talk about what games uh, we want to promote, what, what are the most important. You know, what, and, you know, Jason Pearl is there from the sponsorship side. What do we need to talk about on the sponsor side or the giveaway item? Um, so we all get together and talk about what, what that message should be uh, for a particular homestand. Or, or you know, and we're, we're looking at, you know, the short term, we're also looking longer term, you know, when do we want to start? If it's, if it's like we did a big uh, Levi 501 offer, we had about 20 games where we sold tickets on May 1st for $5 and and $5 and one cent. And that, you know, that probably took a month to get that built up because that it was a uh, email campaign, social media campaign. Uh, You know, everybody within the company was talking about that. I mean, we, I think we had the broadcasters and Levi jackets and jeans. Uh, it was really that, and that's, that's the fun, you know, I guess we'll get into the fun business now. Uh, when you, when you have those kind of projects where you have lead time and you can, you can build it up, uh, they're really, they're fun to work on. And it's the collaboration Pat, you saw it, the collaboration among the giants family. Uh, you know, we all, we all get along on the field, off the field. I mean, we work hard together and, uh, you know, it shows it, it, we have some great, we've had some great success together.
1: Talk about all the people, it, it, maybe describe some of the roles of all the people that you're managing um, in, um, in ticket services and sales. I mean, how, how many people are there? And, and so what do they do?
2: Well, I have, uh, let's see, I have four vice presidents. So one is uh, ticket tic- tic- operations. That's Steve Finelli, uh, who's 20, 22 years in the business, 20 of them in Oakland. Uh, so I was able to get him to come over, uh, about two years ago and he's running the operation and a lot of the single game sales for us. These, these promotional items, uh, Jerry Drobny, who, you know, is sort of, uh, I don't know if you coined it or Mario, but he's, he's my Robert Kennedy. Uh, he's the guy I lean on and, and, uh, run ideas by, uh, he's on the strategic side. Then we have, uh, on the customer service side, the client retention uh, is Joe Toda, who's managing all the, the keeping our uh, season ticket group together. And there's Jeff Tucker, who's uh, VP of Sales, who's you know sort of uh, he's got everything. You know, he's got groups, suites, uh, new business, uh, Cloud Club. I mean, premium. He, he's a great. He's got this vision on the premium side that that really uh, no one else has. And so I really lean on him. He's another one. He comes up with – with sounds like a crazy idea, but he's so passionate about it. I sort of have to go with it. I may not I may not get it or agree with it. Uh, and you saw the Cloud Club, I think, when, when – uh, uh, you know, first week of the season, you got to see it. And that was really Jeff uh,
1: – that was his, his brainchild. He's been pushing that for three years now. So, so the Cloud Club's a new product. Describe – Describe what the cloud. What kind of a buyer um, would? I mean, what kind of a buyer is interested in the cloud club?
2: That, I mean, that's interesting. What... It's, it's really our corporate customers who have been renting suites for years, and and you know we talk about going to eighty-one games and stuff. Filling a suite with twenty people isn't isn't easy. Uh, so what we developed or what Jeff put together was this idea that a pre- you could buy a premium space. Anywhere from one to twenty tickets, whatever whatever you wanted. Uh you get eight, you you buy you buy into the cloud club and you get eighty credits and you can use those however you want. You can use two at a time. You could use uh you know, you come to four games with twenty people. Uh but what he wanted was the 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 flexibility and he wanted to give the premium customer the flexibility uh really to come when they wanna come and and tell us when they wanna come. You don't you don't have to commit to the if it's two tickets, you don't have to commit to 40 games right now. You know, you could decide the day of the game. I need four. Call up and we'll have
0: four for you.
1: Wow. It's, a, it's really, really changed. Okay, so we talk about the fun business. And I always <laughs> used to say that we were in the fun business. You know, being in the ticket business also, I, I used to say that, you know, first of all, nobody's ever asked for a bad seat. They say, right. well, I'd, like two, I'd like two good seats. Yeah, And then, they, and then that, and the next thing they say is, and I'll pay for them if I have to. Um, but, but go through, give us, you know, you must have seen it all, done it all with respect to ridiculous ticketing stories. And, you know, you, you don't need to incriminate anybody <laughs> here. Um, and if it's me, that's fine. No, but come on. Get, give me, your, give me your most, some of your most ridiculous um, ticketing, ticketing requests and ticketing stories. Yeah, I
2: had one uh, guy from high school. That I hadn't seen since we graduated, and called me before one of the World Series games. Actually, just e- emailed me, I think, before the World Series game, uh, which was pretty outrageous. Uh, odd, odd requests. I I got a crazy one not that long ago. Somebody wanted a ticket to the Barrett Jackson auction, car auction down in Arizona. oh in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was in Scottsdale, so you can guess. You know. <laughs> who was who was looking for that? Uh, mm-hmm. Spring training. That was a that was a weird one. I, you know, the probably the toughest ticket is the Super Bowl. That's that's been uh, you know occasionally almost every year I get a request from someone and and you know the great thing about this business is it it it's sort of like the mafia. Once you're in the ticket business, you all kind of help each other out. Uh, so you know I've been able to. Deliver on most of those. I think there were a couple Super Bowls along the way I couldn't get tickets to. In uh, the Barrett Jackson auction, I couldn't. Uh, hmm. Had one just the other day that somebody somebody wanted uh, U.S. Open tickets, which wasn't the challenge. It was they wanted parking. That, was, <laughs> <laughs> that, that 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 is a tough ticket.
1: Uh, wow. Hey, so what is the toughest ticket in sports? What do you think it is?
2: Oh, it's probably the Super Bowl. That's probably um, that's still the, the the harder one that that takes you know a little while um, mm-hmm. and i found the right guy a couple of years ago and uh he's now he's now retired so uh <laughs>
0: that's not what, russ when you say toughest ticket i mean is it because of availability is it is it price is it combination of both
2: well yeah it's both because it, you know if if someone comes to me they're they're expecting or at least hoping to pay face value which for a Super Bowl, you know, you have to really get to the right person to get a face value ticket. Otherwise, everything else is hitting the secondary market.
0: Well, because you got what well, Pat, we've got the uh, you got the Masters, right? You got to enter a lottery in which what people wait years and years and years and never even get get a chance to get a ticket, right? So, is there anything comparable to that in baseball, Russ?
2: I, I don't think so. Not like the masters because they make it so difficult with the badges where, you know, they do it. There's, there's a secondary market for those. Uh, but you got to meet somebody at the Denny's down the street and pick up your, <laughs> pick up your badge uh, or, or what's out there, a water uh, Chick-fil-A. Uh, <laughs> I
0: but but you're I, also, I think I- in baseball, it's yeah. it's a
2: little, there, there, there's, there's more, I don't know, if to, I guess it's probably not more inventory, but like an all-star game or a world series those, those aren't, aren't as tough because, you know, when you play in them, you take care of, you know, you try to help out your other partners and other teams uh, and then they do the same when it happens. I mean, I've had, I've had calls, you know, somewhat ridiculous requests the morning of a game at at Fenway uh, morning of a world series game at Fenway and still, you know, it's one and it's, 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 I don't want to say it's easy, but you know, it's a quick phone call or an email and, and it gets done because you have relationships with the different people. Cause it, the Red Sox know that I would do it for them if we were in that situation. So sure.
1: R- Russ, Russ also has the, has the distinct pleasure. Uh, I, I had to do this for a while, but you also deal with the baseball schedule, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. aren't you, you're the schedule guy, right? So right. if pe- people have a problem with the schedule, you know, Katie Feeney, who used to uh, God rest her soul used to uh, run scheduling for baseball and she said the goal making the schedule was to make it equally offensive for everybody <laughs> and, um, because nobody's ever happy. But so but so you actually have a hand in putting the schedule together, right? Yeah. And the
2: schedule has really evolved over the years. I mean, I I, I definitely miss Katie uh, because she was so helpful in that process. But uh, now that it's, it's, it's funny, I always, when I see her brother, Stony, I always say, that, you know, it took it took three men to replace Katie Feeney at the, at the baseball office to do the schedule, because there's now three people that you talk with. Uh, but what they do now is they, they ask for all of your requests. Uh, they, they do a survey. Do you want to open at home? Do you want to close at home? Uh, do you want to be home for 4th of July? And there's, so there's a series of questions that now we all uh, provide input for ahead of the schedule or Katie knew all that stuff in her head. Oh, no, the Giants yeah. don't want to open at home. You know, they want to open on the road because they want to sell tickets for the first road trip. Uh, and she knew all that. Uh, but now it's it, it's they're using technology to make make it a better process. I don't know if it's better, um, but it's it, it's all in one place. And, you know, they can hit a button. Get a get a copy of the schedule, make some tweaks and then get another copy, you know, within minutes. Uh, whereas that would, you know, if Katie would take some input and say, OK, I'll be back to you guys in two weeks.
0: Wow. So, so, Russ does uh, obviously the schedule changes every year. Does that change your strategy a lot of the time throughout the year, or does it mainly stay the same, knowing you might get a couple requests fulfilled and a couple not?
2: I think if that was right uh you know it 's trying to keep everybody marginally happy uh, so you know when we fill out the re- the list of requests uh. You know, we'll get some and others we won't get. You know, we like, we like to open, if we go on the road, we like to go as far east as possible and start making our way back. Uh, so we get accustomed to the time zones coming home. Uh, and that, that, that doesn't always happen. And, and that's, that's actually getting more and more difficult uh, with teams having requests and, you know, you might go from, let's see, Arizona to Chicago and then back home rather than Chicago, Arizona, San Diego. Uh, it's just getting harder and harder with all the requests.
1: And and also the, you know, now it's as as more and more teams and more and more divisions. And now a number of years ago, uh, interleague play all during the year. I mean, that affects everybody's schedule, right? I sure. mean, it, it makes it, makes it, I don't know if it makes it better, but it certainly makes it more complicated.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, part of the business that you were in, you know these these in the summer teams want to have concerts so they want to block weekends that they know a particular uh concert is available so that we'll, you know we'll, and a couple of years ago we had rugby we did the rugby sevens uh World Cup at our place and so that that had implications to the schedule because we basically needed a what was it a four or five day load in three day event and a couple of days to get out uh so we were we had to be on the road for ten or twelve days and that was that was pretty complex to pull that one off oh my god
1: go ahead it it, was it was first of all you got a whole different type whole different sport so the 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 field had to be you know had to be a different configuration but those rugby games you had people at the ballpark all day right
2: yeah that that was actually a really fun event to work because you had so many different people uh, from so many different countries who had never been to the ballpark before didn't speak the language uh or didn't speak english uh but it was really i mean it was talking about a big party it was like a three-day party uh so it was really fun but it, w- it was something different and I, I, I mean i think i think the staff was invigorated because it was it was uh, you know not just the baseball game this was totally different this was an, an international sport it was really a fun event
1: so russ let's talk about people because you're in you know you're in the people business you you know you don't do this by yourself. You have a whole team of people. What do you, what do you tell people um, when you go through the highs and the lows of the team performance? You know the Giants went through uh, a couple you know a, a, a almost a two decades of great team performance. Now the team performance is you know you, you really never you don't know what's going to happen. How do you keep people up? What do you, what do you you know what do you say to them? People who work for you.
2: Yeah, that's tough. I mean I. I... I have to tell you, Arthur, I keep talking about Arthur, shows how much he meant to me. Uh, I came in one, one Monday and, and was so excited about how the, how the weekend had gone for the team. And he goes, don't get too high and don't get too low. And I've remembered that, you know, for 30 years now. Uh, so I try to pass that same thing along to the staff. I mean, the, you know, when we win, it, it's great, but don't go – don't get crazy. Uh, and when, we, when, we're, when we're losing – it, it, it's easy to fall into a funk. I mean, it, you know, as we always say, the hot dogs are cold and the beer's warm. Uh, you, every call you get is there there's something nagging, um, uh, that you're dealing with. So you can't get, let yourself get too low. You got to try to stay, you got to try to stay positive, which, you know, it's easier said than done. I mean, I, I, I find that sometimes too. It's like, God, you know, how'd we lose that game? Uh, You got to stay focused and stay positive. And, and, and I think, you know, I I believe that we're able to do that. And, you know, we do have fun in the office. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of camaraderie and frankly, it's a family because we're together a a long time together, you know, probably more than our families. So, you know, we do, we do all get along and we support each other and help out each other. Uh, So, and I think that just shows to our customers You know, when we get out there and we're we're out in the stands talking to people uh, that 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 rolls through from from the office to the customer.
1: So so a number of our our listeners are uh, are uh, in sports management programs or are new to the business. You know, this is like an informational interview. What what are the what are the qualities that you look for in people um, when you're you know, when you're looking for, to add people to your team? I mean, what are the most important qualities?
2: Yeah, I, I like uh, someone who can sell,
1: someone who's, and,
2: and when I say sell, you could, you could, you know, work retail somewhere, you could uh, work in a restaurant. Uh, so any, anyone who can sell, who's in selling, I mean, that's the one thing. You don't come out knowing how to, how to sell tickets. Uh, but if you can, if you can work in a restaurant and you're getting 15 or 20% of everything you put, you push that extra dessert or that wine, uh, you know that's that's somebody that you you want to get a hold of. Plus, uh, you know we're looking on the service side as well. So if somebody is in a restaurant and they can sell and service, that that's I think that's where we found Cindy Hernandez. She was running a restaurant, uh, mm-hmm. and she was she just is you know she's one of the perfect client relations uh, account managers because she she understands and she ran her own ran her own restaurant. Uh, so looking for that retail or, or service side uh, is, is critical.
0: Super interesting. And in terms of people who get into the, the start of the ticket sales side of things or, 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 the service side, where do they go from there? I mean, what, you know, do you see people go into the group sales and then into sponsorships or, you know, what, Russ, where, where do people go once they get their foot in the door on the sales side?
2: Yeah, there are two, two ways to go. You come into the, the company uh, on the sales team. It's usually the inside sales where, you know, you've got some retention, but it's mostly new business that you're out trying to get a hold of. Uh, or on the service team, which is our uh, CSS team, customer service specialist. Uh, and you go into either of those two and you come in as, as, a, as a part-time worker. And hopefully, you know, you land a full-time spot. Or a spot for the following year as a part-time worker, uh, but you might end up in the sales team. You might premium premium sales. It really depends where your expertise is. And I like to I like to tell people to start there, either either one of those, and figure out what you like. You may find that you don't like sales and you want to get in the service side. We've had people go from service. I want to be more. I, I'm much more aggressive. I want to be on the sales team. Uh, so we've seen people go different ways and they also can launch into the rest of the company. I mean, there's a lot of people that started out in ticketing, whether it's ticket sales or service that are in the rest of the company now. Well, and, and throughout the sponsorship team.
0: Yeah. And throughout the podcast, I mean, you've mentioned how many different people you've worked with and departments you guys touch on the ticketing side. I mean, you can only imagine how much knowledge you can gain being within the ticket side and, and how many, you know, the marketing and the communications and sponsorships, et cetera right throughout the organization that you touch
2: yeah when i do informational interviews i i I just tell people look you got to get in once you're in you'll you'll sort of you'll make friends in other departments and you'll get to feel a feel for what they do uh and you're you're you know if you're good uh you'll grow within the company And, and sadly there's some people that have been great that we just haven't had room for and haven't been able to keep and they've gone to other teams so not only not only are we a feeder to the giants but yeah, we can be a feeder to other clubs.
0: Well, Russ, we, we, we really appreciate uh, all the time you spent with us today on life in the front office. Pat, any, any last words?
1: Well, I think, you know, Russ, Russ is a perfect example of somebody who loves loves what he does. He's grown up in the business, uh, but he's also grown the business and hasn't been so set in his ways that he hasn't, you know, he, he has embraced new ways of looking at, you know, as things go forward, you know maybe we will we can get him back on here again to talk about what is the what is the business going to look like in the future? What is the venue of the future going to look like with respect to ticketing and the experiences and stuff? But Russ, you're you know you're regarded as one of the pioneers in the business, and the other nice thing about it is you've always been generous with information for uh, for people who have sought it out. That's one of the reasons they do so uh you're you know you're, you're one of the people in the business that uh you're, you're the you're the ticket master you, know, you are the you know you know i think somebody already has that yeah, name we're but, I, but we're looking for it nah, it's okay we're, we're going to look for a title for this podcast and i think you know russ you, you are the ticket wizard the ticket master um and you you've you you make it you make it look easy and it's
2: Well, I appreciate it, Pat, and I, I think you've given me so many opportunities over the years, and I, I, I can never thank you enough, and I and, uh, appreciate being on the show, and I, you know I love you. Uh, and I'm disappointed we're not going to Perry's
0: for beers. <laughs> Pat, Pat, I gotta <laughs> say, st- on our last episode with Ted, weren't you headed to Perry's? Yeah. Yeah, we were. It, we
1: That's why <laughs> we, I was trying to, was, I was waving my arms trying to get him to shut up <laughs> so we could... <laughs> So we we could walk down the street and go. To, yeah, Perry's is uh, you know we'll give it a little plug. It's a it's a little uh, watering hole celebrating its 50th birthday this year at uh, 1944 Union Street in San Francisco, and it's a great place. Uh, and it's sort of my go-to place. So, wow, Russ, you're you're, you're on. We'll, we, we, you've got a okay. rate check. Oh, <laughs> that'd be great. Oh, wait a minute, that's a ticket. A problem. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That's good had funny. Pat is, Pat is full of the puns uh, here on life in the front office. And, uh, Russ, absolutely, welcome me back on to uh, talk more about ticketing in the future. Oh, I'd love to, and, Jake. Thank you. And uh, best of luck with the with the rest of the season. Holy cow, we're almost at the uh, halfway point with the all star Yeah, place. we're it's almost crazy. there. Crazy. So, best of luck and uh, with the with the remaining of the year of the first year of Oracle Oracle Park there you go. Uh, with the new naming. So, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.